For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Believe in Badger Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by BetOnline.ag. Once again, I'm your host, Matt Perkins, joined, as always, by Badger legend, the Hebrew Hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Matty, how are we feeling today? Yeah, I'm back in New York. I was in Madison. It was negative 10 walking to walking the streets. Dar- we got a, a special, special guy, Darren Jones, who was a manager, a manager's perspective which I actually think is, 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 is dicey here to hear what Darren has to say. Although now he still works for the university. So I think we'll get some G rated um, stories, but they will be pretty good. Uh, Darren, you were a manager from what? 98 to 03, 99. Yeah. 99 to 2003. The big game is finally here as we hit super Sunday with the last game of the football season. And as always bet online has you covered. From odds, scores, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. Bet Online's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. So head on over to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get you started. The fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet Online, where the game starts. So right off the bat, how many of the toolboxes did you win? Yeah, that's a that's a sore subject, Bernie. No, uh, we we yeah uh, we we were so I so I was a manager for five total seasons, and uh, we we went over on the first four, but uh, we redeemed ourselves in the fifth and final uh, season. So I I did get to run out on senior day with the toolbox in hand, but uh, it was a long road to get there. <laughs> Listen, I've never beat Iowa one time, so I think uh, you got me beat there. But so I. I know we have a lot to talk about, but how cool and how fun is that game and how meaningful and how like wild is it? Since well, for the fans, also doors. Darren, for the fans who don't know, describe what the toolbox game is. Sorry, fans. Yeah. So, so, so the, the rusty toolbox game is a game that's historically been played since the, the mid nineties uh, between the Iowa managers and the Wisconsin managers. And, and it started based on some, some of the connections between the coaching staffs and operations staff for those two schools. And so uh, at, when it first started, there was actually, I think it was played actually in the early nineties. And then there was 
some years we didn't play Iowa, but it's been pretty consistent then since since I started as a manager. Um, being an annual game, it's played on the Friday night prior to the football game. So managers still have to take care of all their, their duties, check-ins at the hotel, all of that stuff. Um, so the game's usually played pretty late. Uh, we It's typically played in the indoor facilities of, of each school. And uh, it's a very unique uh, atmosphere. We actually do have plenty of folks come out and see it. We schedule uh, actual officials. There's quite a rivalry going on. Um, Iowa, for many years, uh, they, they were a little further along on their schemes and, and their planning. And um, they actually, uh, their, their manager team played for um, a, the local rec league in town. They found nights to be able to play that. And we were a little more uh, kind of scrapping it together. And uh, so, yeah, we, we took our lumps, although we played some close games. And and uh, the the fifth and final year, we were able to pull it off. But it was it was always just such a fun a fun thing to actually be able to to put on the jersey and you know have a little like a, a little bit of investment in really not just the not just the other managers and other staff, but the the players and coaches. A lot of times would say, you know, you better go win this thing, which we disappointed them a few times, but we we ultimately redeemed ourselves. Um, our last year, we actually, so the managers it, it, that were eligible were always our on-field guys that would work with the coaching staff and the different uh, specialist groups, as well as um, the, some of the equipment guys would play. Our last year, we did employ, uh, at the time, we had a very uh, small window where T- Thomas Hammock, who had just been at Northern Illinois, um, and now back at Northern Illinois, but had, um, he was a manager, designated as a manager. So he did play defense only, only a limited number of snaps. But we got we had a little little help that didn't make the Iowa managers real happy. But um, you know what? We won the toolbox. That's <laughs> all that matters. Do you find any correlation with the game, the toolbox game, and the actual game, like the football game? You know, I think I think there's. Um, I mean, there's so much pride, right, in, in the program, and and that's certainly a piece that. I think we to be able to showcase like that toughness and and kind of the same mentality. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend like we were anything close to the ability of of the guys playing on Saturdays, but but I think there was a lot of pride um, in just trying to win it for the program. Being able to tell guys at breakfast on Saturday morning, oh yeah, here's the, you know here's the toolbox we we've captured it. So. Um, it, we had, there's some good stories from over the years. Um, I, I had some highlights and some lowlights personally, but so did our team. We, um, my, one year uh, I, I did throw for five touchdowns in the game. Uh, unfortunately, only two of them were to the Wisconsin team, but <laughs> I think that chances a, a record. Um, and then uh, another one, we did have one year where, uh, it was it was a one score game late, and we got stopped in Iowa City. Stopped on fourth down. Um, they basically had turned into tackling. Right, it started out as flag football, and I should have probably made that more clear. It started out as flag football. It usually ended as tackle football. That particular game ended in a fist fight after the final tackle, and uh, and the game may have ended with a couple minutes still on the clock at that point. But uh, yeah, we um, we definitely had some years where. Uh, you know, guys would end up with some injuries, some things that probably uh, I think they've done a better job taming down now. But uh, yeah, it was it was certainly uh, a fun time. And 
um, you know, like I said, just to, to put on that jersey and get to for one night kind of live out our little, uh, you know, dream of, of suiting up for the for the folks. Listen, I, honestly, now all I want to know is who won the toolbox. Like, that's my excitement. <laughs> like, I like I wish those games were on TV. Yeah, well, so the, and the toolbox itself is actually pretty cool. I'm sure some people have seen it. It's got every year's winner listed on it. So if there's streaks, and I know um, over the last decade, our managers had a, a streak where they won quite a few years in a row. And so it's always nice to see just a W streaking down that thing. Um, but when the year before we won it, we had lost for you know four years in a row um, to Iowa because they had actually won it the year before I came. So we lost four years in a row. The Iowa managers um, actually called my, my cell phone from South Beach. Their team had gone to the Orange Bowl. They called from South Beach um, because they were at the Orange Bowl saying like, you know, we're here just partying with the toolbox. Send us, they did send us some photos. So when we won it that next year, we open up the toolbox and it's filled with sand and seashells. So you better believe the first thing we did was just dump that all over the McLean turf and run off with the toolbox. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. I was about to say what's inside of it, but whatever you guys put in, I guess. Whatever. Yep. <laughs> Wait, so I'm sorry to just jump into, just jump into that, but I think that's like one of the special things about being a manager are these things that people don't know about. And I think that the rusty toolbox game, some people might know about it, but I don't think a lot do, but let's go back to like a young Darren. You're in Deerfield. What, what made you choose Wisconsin? Yeah. You know, I just growing up and for those who don't know, and I don't blame them, Deerfield's a pretty small town, just East of Madison, but um, growing, growing up so close to it. And, and quite honestly, the time I hit, kind of my teenage years what coincided with this excitement surrounding the football program for the first time and um quite honestly like I was I was hooked even even in the 92 season um when they were so close to going to a bowl and I think at the time the rumor was like if if they won that final game at Northwestern they were gonna go to the Freedom Bowl and there was like this this excitement of like oh my gosh we're gonna like play in a bowl game ironically like you know that game didn't end up, we didn't go our way and, and we didn't go to a bowl, but I think it made the year later so special um, going to the Rose Bowl. And, and that just the excitement in this area and the surrounding area and like seeing what it meant to the community to like this perennial losing football team to see it change on a dime so quickly. Um, it just like got swept up in that excitement. And quite honestly, I, I applied to school a few other places and, and I, but once I got into Wisconsin, like there was no doubt in my mind. But so what, what made you go? So you've been, been a fan your entire life? Yeah. You know, grew up, um, not quite honestly, we didn't go to a ton of Wisconsin events growing up, um, got to go to the old field house for a couple of basketball games. And, um, but then starting with kind of the success in the nineties, uh, my, my parents listened to coach Alvarez's advice early on and got their season tickets. And in the nineties, we started going to games and like, I mean, I was honestly, I was just, I was hooked from there. I mean, just the atmosphere that we still see to this day, I, I feel like really started to ramp up around that period. And so what, what makes, you want to be a manager of the football program because it is not, it is a, to me, it's like a hard job to have. 
So I'd love to hear like what, what your passion was to like go and get yelled at by the players, the coaches and, and just like grind, you know, cause I don't think people understand like the, you guys don't show up for practice and like move some cones around. You're there early. You're staying late. You're getting everything behind the scenes basically taken care of. So what, what makes you want to just jump into that? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's one of those where, for me, um, I knew I, I was, uh, I, I've been, I've been blessed with having a pretty good understanding of my own athletic abilities and limitations at an early age. And so um, while I played sports throughout high school, like I, I knew, uh, th- you know, there was no opportunities where I was going to be playing after those high school years. And so for me at an early age, I mean, I was so into to football and, and, coaching and understanding the game in in different ways and so for me it really presented an opportunity I kind of got linked up with some of the coaches in a very unique um, way through through a a connection with a teacher I had um, growing up and and when I even knew this was a thing and this was a, a possibility quite honestly like I had no doubt in my mind now I won't lie to you and say there weren't moments especially early on um, I know I've heard you talk to others about like the seminary and uh, the manager, my very first day as a student manager in, in, in July of 1999, I showed up, they handed us over to, uh, it, um, it was Scott Hedenbach and Paulie were the, the weight, the strength staff um, that worked for, you know, debt and obviously bot, bot came along, but um they basically are like, all right, managers, we're moving the weight room up to seminary today. This is like the first 15 minutes on the job. I think we signed some paperwork first to say in case we got injured, like it wasn't the university's fault. And then we just went to work, literally moving everything out of the weight room, up the ramp, onto a truck, and just trips all day long to the seminary. And so the first day on the job, I might have had some doubts, but I think it, it was, I, I can honestly say it was all uphill after day one. So, so wait, let me just preface what, what you're talking about. Cause in my mind, it is, it's fresh and it still burns that, that the weight room would basically move. So I don't think people understand the seminary was this high school out in by Verona or it's in Middleton. Um, holy name, Holy cross. Yeah. Holy name. Holy name. So if you ever drive by it, dude, we would spend 18 full days there. The gym became a locker room. It's a, and it, all the rooms were for us. And they had, they still had people there who lived on, on, I guess, campus, but they were somewhere else. You hardly ever saw like um, a father or anyone part, part of that. And they, so the locker room was there. You had your meeting rooms were there. Everyone slept in the, the dorm there. So you, and you never left really. What nobody understands is like, these guys would bring out not just like the weight, like a few weights. They brought out almost all of the weight room. Like you had, you had probably yeah. like what a thousand dumbbells were moved. They had benches. You had mats. You had physio balls. Like you just had everything was put in the center of this small campus, and we would work out. So when Darren's like, "Oh, you know, we did a bunch of trips." It's, it's lifting 100-pound dumbbells, walking from the weight room, which is underneath the stadium at the time, up a ramp, onto a truck, securing it, doing it again. And I just don't think people understand, like, how, first yeah. off, weightlifting during the time was the worst. 
because camp sucked. And then you had to work out too. <laughs> oh my God. So, but, and then you had to set it up. Did that take all day? Yeah. Oh yeah. It took, it took a whole day. I, I think I slept pretty well that night. <laughs> Wait, so, and so but, what, yeah. what's the seminary like then for, for, I mean, did you guys, you guys were out there and you stayed there too? Yeah, we yeah we would stay there. So the the one advantage we had is, and I, I'm sure you remember this, Bernie, but there was a board where all of the players had to turn in their keys. At least there was in my first few years. Every all the players had to put their keys on a on a board, and then that would get stowed away because you couldn't drive anywhere. You weren't allowed to go anywhere. The one the one thing the manager group had is we at least had access to the vans, so we could we could on occasion break out or uh, go and run some errands, things like that, which was like a godsend during that three week period. Um, but you know, honestly, the one thing I will say in for the seminary is that it was it was a good way to be forced to really get to like get to know each other. I there was a while it didn't, you know, there were attributes that were less than ideal. It certainly felt like at the end of that, like I was closer to the other managers, some of the staff, some of the student athletes closer than I think I would have been otherwise had we not gone through that experience together because we really were all kind of in it together, living out there uh, for, you know, what seemed like, like you said, it was two and a half weeks, three, just under three weeks, but it, it felt like it was probably a little longer than that. So you, you guys, there was also managers who would drive the kickers to the stadium to just kick at the stadium. Yeah, yeah. There, so it, we had access to vans. Actually, it's funny you say that because we ended up getting to know a lot of the specialists as well as anyone because spending that time in, in the van with them. Um, but yeah, it was it was such a, a unique experience. Uh, just the whole the whole few weeks out there, but something I. In a, in a strange way, I also look back on fondly as well. I, I, I would say I agree with you. I look back on it now fondly, but in it, every minute that I was there just felt so hard. But you know what? It, it, I look yeah. back on it now, like some of those dudes who were there, the stories we share, and I'm sure the stories you have been a part of, they will never die. Like they'll live on way past I'm buried, dead and buried. Like, the, like game room closed. <laughs> for Alvarez will go on until my kids can't hear it enough. <laughs> were you there for game room closed? I don't think so. I, th I think that might've been after I, are you sure? Okay. It might've been. Cause I, I mean, I can't even remember Jeff Mack was there. So if Jeff was there, I feel like you were uh, there. Then, then I should have been. Yeah. Then I should have been. Did you guys clean the game room out one, one night when like we were all sleeping? Oh, um, I know what you're talking. Yeah, I did not. <laughs> I will say that, and I'll just leave the fifth from there on uh, on putting anyone else at risk. I know what you're it's talking. not your fault. It's not your fault because yeah. we did it. You know the the guys who like just left their dip cups everywhere all the time. So it's, yeah. it's their fault. It was not my fault either. But like that story to me is one of my favorite stories. Yeah. And the game room's just completely wiped out. All you see is like the the outline of dust from like TVs and and, and <laughs> video games. There's nothing there. Wait, so wait, let's go back. So you show up. You're at the seminary. How do you how like how do they tell people what what what's your job going to be? Who you're going to work with? Yeah, for in ter in terms of the manager group, um, yeah. you're so you're you're assigned. So you're really assigned from the, the moment 
you get hired or you start, they say, and, and I was an on-field manager, I should specify. So all of the on-field managers had a position group they had, they were assigned to. And so for me, my assignment was the quarterbacks, which um, when they told me that I was like, well, great. I was a, a high school quarterback now, not a very good one, but I was a high school quarterback. Like, this is great. Um, well, it became quickly apparent to me that being one, being a high school quarterback does not qualify you for um, being the quarterback's manager. Um, what they really needed, and you can attest this, Bernie, they needed someone that could play wide receiver. <laughs> they needed someone with hands because, because they throw for the first four periods of practice, the first 20 minutes of practice, they're doing throwing drills. And a lot of times um, they needed someone to play wide receiver. Well, I can tell you, spending my high school years as a quarterback and probably never once catching a pass did not prepare me for division one quarterbacks throwing footballs. And then on top of that, there was within the equipment room. And I know Bernie, you know, some of the dynamics with the equipment room and equipment staff, it was, um, it was not possible to wear gloves, to be issued gloves. They would not give gloves to managers. And so I remember it took about five or 10 minutes into the first practice to realize I'm going to need, I'm going to need some extra practice myself. I'm going to need to learn. I, that first seminary camp, I, I had a giant circle bruise in the middle of my chest from just balls, just pelting me in the chest playing wide receiver. I, I will say I, I improved. I did improve over the years, but that first year I'll never forget like taking my shirt off and it was just the gnarliest looking bruise in the middle of my chest because I couldn't wear gloves and I didn't have the hands to catch it without using the chest as a backstop. So it was, uh, that was, that was also another introduction where it was like, what, what am I doing here? Now to get gloves. Well, and not to mention. I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, it was not, that was Even not if you were a starter, a freshman. you can only have two yeah. pairs of gloves. They would, they yeah. wouldn't, now it changed. It changed after you left, and it started changing. But for some odd reason, when I got there, you could only have one pair of gloves. And then I was like, "Guys, I can't practice in these these these, and then play in them. They're disgusting." So I had a pair of game um, gloves that I only used on the game. And I was like, "Pure, what are you doing back there? These gloves? You have ten thousand of them. Just give them <laughs> to people." So yeah. they, but eventually yeah. you, eventually I think he loosened up. I, I don't, I don't know what it could be from, but to hear you say that it was so funny to, to ask for gloves. He'd be like, well, show me your other ones. And if they were fine, yeah. he'd be like, no, I yeah. won't give you any other ones. I, I, I remember gloves and socks, especially when we were Reebok, but even when we switched to Adidas, like gloves and socks were like gold, Like you could not get them. I, I used to, I, I ended up eventually, I remember just saying, for survival, I need to find a pair of gloves. I remember fishing some out of the garbage that a guy had thrown out. And I was like, All right, I got to just make it through the next couple of practices and maybe heal a little bit. And then, and obviously I got shamed into then going to no gloves again after that. Who, who was rifling the ball at you? Who, who, like, who would just gun it in there? So, so the thing, the thing that always interested me about that is all of the quarterbacks throw a different ball. When they say, like, the, that guy throws a catchable ball, like, it's so true. Like, guys throw very different uh, passes, some, you know, with the nose up or down or straight. Like, 
the, I will say like, obviously Brooks could rifle it in. It was the guys, the guys who um, were also like baseball players. I always felt like that really rifled it. So Stocko could really, you know, he threw a very, um, a, a very straight ball one that would come in hard um, for me. Um, so Sorgi actually threw a really um, like a catchable ball. Like for whatever reason, I always felt like I could catch his better than anyone else's. Um, and it wasn't like for lack of zip or anything like that. Just however he had the, the, the nose would come in slightly up on those balls and it was like a lot easier to catch for whatever reason. But yeah, it was, um, and then we, we had some, um, which were great guys, but that didn't always throw spirals, um, as well as some of the others. And so that was always challenging because you're almost like adjusting on the fly from, um, you know, how you're preparing to catch different guys and such a rapid, especially in those, those drills, as you know, Bernie, like, that the coaches aren't going to take time for you to fumble around with the ball. They, those quarterbacks are going to keep throwing them. Whether you, you know, you have one that just like snapped the finger, <laughs> they're going <laughs> to, they want the quarterbacks to keep rifling balls. So um, there are a few times where <laughs> I may have gone down to one arm <laughs> to try to finish up a, a drill with the QB. <laughs> I remember just looking over sometimes it just, it looked like dodgeball. You like try, you like catch a yeah. ball, and then a ball's coming like ten seconds later, and you're like trying to figure, you're like catching it. Oh, you dropped it, then you're you're bending over to get it, and then the next ball's. And I just remember sitting there like, wow, this is so college football. Like y- nobody can make a mistake ever, no matter who you are on the field. Like if you're yeah. on the field, there are no mistakes uh, to be made. Wait, so what was your relationship like with? Um, it was Coach Horton the whole time. Yeah, so I, I was with Coach Horton all five seasons. He ended up being at Wisconsin um, just after that a couple of years, so seven, I think seven years total. Um, but to Coach Horton, my relationship with Coach Horton was incredible. And, you know, we, we obviously we developed different relationships with all the different coaches. Um, but, but Coach Horton, I think there was always um, a little jealousy from some of the other managers just because he was such an incredible person to work for. Um, so him and his wife, Terry, they were just unbelievable people. Um, and one thing that just to like, kind of fast forward to the end of, of my time at Wisconsin, after working with him for, you know, five years, um, coach Horton actually paid for a trip to Vegas for me, like covered a, a full, um, trip, hotel, um, travel to go to Vegas as a thank you, which I'm like, it's just mind blowing to me that like he did that. And so, um, but the whole time the, the relationship was strong. Like, you know, I would do anything for him, whatever he needed. We, you know, we obviously did some more glamorous things than others um, for the coaches. Uh, but, you know, I, I was always happy to do whatever I could to help him, um, whether it was, you know, football related stuff. We also, um, you know, over the years I would house it for him, do whatever I could to like help him and his wife out. But um, yeah, he was, he was incredible. He was, he was, uh, um, a great guy to work for and still, still coaching at, uh, San Diego state now, but, uh, yeah, can't say enough good things about coach Horton and feel like that kind of permeated, you know, through to a lot of the offensive players really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed coach Horton had a, obviously had a good relationship with coach white as well, but, um, yeah, coach, coach Horton was, was awesome. So, but I guess <laughs> when you come off the field every day, who was working with coach Huber and how much did he say how he hated you? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Like, um, so it was, we, there were a couple different managers while I was there that worked with him, but 
But I, I've heard, um, I've, I've been able to listen to a few of these other uh, podcasts you've done, which are incredible, by the way. You guys are doing an awesome job. Thank you. And uh, Coach, Co- I can hear, when, when you were saying, like, you dummy, I can hear in the same voice from, like, Coach Huber yelling um, those type of things. I, I actually was going to ask you a question, Bernie. So, so, in, so insults um, are one thing. I, and there's been some great ones. The one that stands out to me is like Coach Elmo used to to tell guys they were the the five dollar link in the million dollar chain, like things things like that that uh, were just like amazing insults. But I was going to ask you what. So I felt like Coach White had the best sayings, the most positive sayings. Like he's he he was like to me, he's like the closest thing we had to a Ted Lasso on our our squad because he was like so positive. Is like let's have a day, catch the catch the sun on the, the balls and the, like anything he said was just like in such an upbeat like like statement. I felt like so. I I was curious like what are some of the like things that stand out to you? Wait, for, I mean, I could I could talk for about three days on Coach White, and if we got Greg Root on the show, oh my God, he remembers everything about Coach White. But Coach White, my, some things we used to love is like don't be a robot. You know, like he, he yeah. don't be a robot. And then he used to say something like, uh, like don't, it wasn't don't stand up. It was like, you just popping straight up. And I can't remember what it was, but it was like, he said it all the time. Um, but that guy was funny, man. We, you know, when, when I first got there, you had Chad Coons, you had Russ, Russ Coons in the, in the room. Remember train. So it's like a lot of like yeah. weird pet was there. So like when I was there, like Pettis and AD seemed normal. And those guys were kind of weird. And then you train, there's yeah. somebody else. I, I still remember the day in the football office when Coach White was on the phone yelling, out with the Dane, in with the train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean. That's his recruiting pitch. Yeah, he came to school here and he was, he didn't play very much. He was, he was, a, he was a weird guy, but a, a nice guy, but a weird guy. But, you know, I, we walked to him. So this is funny. Remember how Coach White, used to have a huge, all the gumballs. So Coach White had a bunch of yes, ticks, nervous ticks, yes. and he had gumballs. And he had a, a box full of like 10,000 gumballs or 1,000 gumballs, or a big box. And he was walking in, and um, Russ was standing behind the door like a five-year-old would to scare somebody. And he had a chew-in and a, and, a, and a coffee cup and a chew cup on the box. And the box was open, and he walks in, and Russ jumps out. Russ a big dude. Jumps out, boom, scares Coach White's pants off. This dude throws the box up in the air, coffee all over, gum, t- a thousand gumballs rolling everywhere. I'm sitting there. I'm scared, man, because I was new. I'm like, this guy's going to kill. He's going to make us run. He goes, he goes, hey, Russ, you dumbass. I just swallowed my chew. And then, <laughs> so, so, you know, and he goes, pick up all the gumballs. So Russ Cruz is hysterically laughing, picking up each individual gumball. And Coach White swallowed a whole chew for the whole rest of the meeting. It was like docile because he felt he probably felt so sick of that. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's just so much like there's just so much fun things that you guys saw because you were you were there. We saw it was the same experience. It's just so funny. But Coach White was such a special individual. You're right. He was positive. He'd still get on you, but not not like Coach Huber and Coach um, Palermo. Like those guys, we're talking about they 
they would insult you and make you feel like you were smaller than you really were. And I, listen, the coaching styles are coaching styles. And I, I never took offense to like anything Palermo or Huber said, no matter how like low I thought it was. But there are some guys who did take offense to it and it and it's it's a mentality thing. And I can understand like that play sucked. Like that's different. Yeah, it sucked. But to say, like, dude, you suck, you're the five cent chain and a million dollar, you know, lake or whatever, that <laughs> like that's actually funny. But some of the stuff was like ruthless. And and you yeah. guys took a lot of the grunt too. Who is it with us? Lucas? Yeah. Yeah, Lu- Lucas Feller. So we used to so- hide the cones, we used to hide the footballs under the cones. We used to do a, oh, under, we side the footballs and the cones underneath the garbage barrels. And Coach White's like, Lucas, where's all the equipment? We had this set up. We talked about this. Like, get on, get on this dude, Lucas. And AD and all of us would just be sitting there hysterically laughing, waiting for individual to start because we hit everything. And Lucas is like, you know, I felt so bad. Like, and and Coach White's like. He just thought Lucas made this mistake. It, and we did it like, you know, like three or four times a season. And Coach White, I guess in his <laughs> – Coach White went to Harvard. Like, he's a smart dude. And he used yeah. to be like, Lucas, why does this happen? What is going on? <laughs> AD's just putting balls under garbage pails, like hiding them. Oh, man. It was, it, so I would agree with you. Coach Palermo was probably the only coach I was truly afraid of. And – What's the irony of that is, so we used to work camps as well. So some, you know, in the summer, the managers, I, I worked camps several years. And, um, and so even, and obviously um, Jason Plermo coming to school at Wisconsin. Um, and then I used to like Jet, Jess Plermo coaches, other, uh, um, other child, like used to work with, and they're the two most incredible, kind, wonderful people I know on the planet. And, and like their dad was not messing around. What's <laughs> nuts is that. Jason was my, like one of the first piece, pers- people I've met and he was a sweetheart and his sister, Jess is still the nicest, probably the nicest human being I've, I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And I'm like, Jason, how did you two come from this guy? But when you'd go to his house, yeah. he would be normal to you. Like it was so weird, mm-hmm. dude. It was coach White would say, don't be a pop tart. Always, don't be a pop tart, Bernie. <laughs> yeah. But another yeah. thing that's funny is he spelled Bernie B U R N I E on my sheets and stuff. And I'd be like, Coach White, I, where? How? I don't get. You went to Harvard, dude. Like I'm like, I don't get how you're spelling my name. It's B E R N. Like why yeah. is it spelled wrong? But yeah. he just, just didn't care about that stuff. I'll tell you, I have one more funny story, and this will definitely get me in trouble. So I hope, um, I hope Alvy listens, but I hope he's not listening to this specific second. When I, when I was redshirting, you know, there was 10 fullbacks in front of me. I had no chance of going in the game. At least that's what I thought. I went out the night before. I was very, very dehydrated before a game and exhausted. I probably got home like three in the morning. I fell asleep at my locker with all my pads on before a game. This is like 10 o'clock. Coach White bumps my knee and I look up at him and he goes, hey, Bernie, you ready for this game? And I'm like, yes, sir. Let's go. Like pumped. And then somebody else like was sleeping and he got, and he went livid. Like got so I, so I, maybe he just didn't see me sleeping or he just bounced. So like, that's coach white. Like he's kind of oblivious, but also yeah. like too smart for himself. So I was like, I was like, man, I just didn't catch the wrath of this guy. Like MFing someone for like just chilling out or not being ready or something. Oh, like, oh my God. But that, 
that was I, that was probably the last time I came to a game dehydrated. You know, dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on, I wasn't gonna play. Want to make some money? How about you invest it in an exciting asset that's outpaced the S and P 500 by 164 percent for 25 years? What I'm talking about is art. Masterworks is the new investing app that lets you invest in blue chip paintings from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol without needing millions of dollars. Over 300,000 people have already signed up. Get priority access with our unique promo. Log in to masterworks.art slash believe. That's masterworks.art slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. Make sure to see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclosures. What was like the manager? Like, did you guys come together? Did you guys do anything fun outside of football like, or at practice? Like, were you guys going drinking beers together? Like, was there any other like traditions besides, you know, playing for the games, the, the Iowa game that you guys did kind of as, as a group? Yeah, we, we definitely became close because I mean, similar to the scenario you're in with, with the other guys, um, you're at practice every day of the, the fall semester, quite a bit of the spring um, during spring practice. Like you're spending so much time because as a manager, like you, I didn't miss a practice in, in five years. I mean, I moved a final to be able to like make a bowl practice. Like, um, you know, so it was, it was one of those where, yeah, we just naturally, because before practice we would set up and then spend time together, whether it was, you know, playing, pick up ball or um, just getting to know each other. And then quite honestly, another thing that bonded us and one of the big perks of being a manager is um, I was part of the advanced crew often. So I would go on um, Thursdays. I would actually go to big 10 schools on Thursdays um, for away games or to all of our away games on Thursday. And so you get to know the other managers that went with you to that and, you know, trainers and some of the other staff. Um, And that was, I mean, I kind of joke, but uh, during my college years, I was able to basically go out and have a good time in every city in the Big Ten and see every, you know, see every stadium. And so it was, it's one of those things that like as a manager, that was definitely one of the, the perks just to be able to like see this college life on some other campus and, and have a day where, you know, obviously once the team arrived, it was all business and, but to be able to kind of have have a little bit of fun before the team came was always enjoyable too. Obviously you guys had a relationship with the managers from the Iowa team. Did you guys get to know the managers from any of the other teams as well? Yeah. Um, a few of them, like I know, uh, I think Purdue might've been jealous of our game, our manager game, because they always wanted to play us before the game. They wanted us to all you know, come in super early and, and play. So there were some groups that, that we'd get to know like that, but um, probably none on the same level as, as the, how we got to know the guys from Iowa. Go back a second. So you were on the advanced team. How many people were part of that? And you would go, I didn't know this. You would go on a Thursday after practice Yeah. and fly yeah, into so other places. Practice Thursday. So f- fly or drive. I mean, there, so it would depend if we, if we could get there in like five, five or six hours, they might put us on the van, but um, yeah, we'd practice. We sometimes we would leave practice slightly early, but basically, um, yeah, as soon as, like you said, as soon as practice was over, we were on our way to the the city we were playing in because we, a lot of things with the hotel, just getting prepared for, you know, a hundred plus, or well, I guess less than that traveling, but 
all these guys to show up, coaches to show up, for the rooms to be ready for things. We have to, we used to have to actually go in for the Friday before we would go in and make sure all the alarm clocks were set to the exact same times, like things like that that you guys probably had no idea about. But we were, yeah, yeah, we were. Um, there was a checklist of things just to. <laughs> you prepared for. Okay, okay, I got to drill down on this because this is too good. And I actually thought you guys did some of this crazy, like, conspiracy theory stuff. So for a home game, you would go to the in-towner as a crew and set all 50 rooms because they they traveled almost everybody. So the the in-towner, the in-towner was actually fabulous at that time at, like, taking care of that stuff. It was more if it was an away game. We would – so we would make sure that – you know, because it, like in a hotel, you could have rooms with, and, and as you know, the, the time, the, the time is very important to uh, make very, sure everyone. To the minute important. Yes, Wait, yes. so do you think they, did, so, did any universities have times that were like outrageous on purpose? Do you think to like mess with us? I, I have no idea, okay. but we'd always, so we'd check, we'd check to make sure the times were right. And to make sure like the alarm wasn't set for like 2 a.m., um, which in, in hotels a lot of times ends up being the case. Somebody leaves it set. So, um, yeah, we would, I mean, that was one piece of it. But I actually, so it was my first road trip. I, I have to share this. So my first road trip uh, was at Cincinnati in, in that 99 season, the, the infamous uh, Cincinnati um, game. And first time traveling, you know, I didn't, and again, when I got into being a manager, I, you kind of learn as you go and they hand out, like, here's the assignments. And I, I just lucked out similar to the quarterback thing. I lucked out that my name was listed on, on all these trips and, and cause there were trips where we didn't bring the whole crew. Um, and so I, so my first trip Cincinnati, and I know you've talked about the importance of being early and I know that stems mostly from the weight room, but like it definitely seeped into other parts of the operation because we, you know, we, so like I said, we went there the, the Thursday night, got ready, had, you know, I'm a college freshman, kind of just learning the Madison campus at the time. Now I'm in Cincinnati and we had a good time. Well, anyway, um, that was the afternoon game. And normally the managers on game day have to get the same between six and seven hours before a game time. And we're, we're there very early just to make sure that the locker room set up, things are ready. But um, so they had told us, I, it was, like I said, it was an afternoon game. So they had told us to meet in the lobby at 8 a.m. Meet at 8 a.m. and and we're all going to go over the stadium. So I'm like, okay, great. And my my roommate at the time was actually a sophomore, but he, I don't think he had traveled the year before or whatever. So we're like, okay, we better be early. And um, we head down. We get to the lobby at, I'll never forget, at 7.48, 12 minutes early. As we walk into the lobby, we see the van pulling away <laughs> and we're like, what, what's going on? And uh, I think it was, um, I think it was Denny Helwig was like down there eating breakfast. And he's like, oh, they said you guys weren't, you guys were late. <laughs> I'm like, late? They told us to be here at eight o'clock. It's like 748. <laughs> so we end up, we end up having to like bum a ride with the trainer van that went like an hour later. So we, and we sit around, wait for this ride. We end up getting a ride. We show up to the stadium and it's clear, like everyone's been told to like, just treat us like we, you know, don't exist. And so like, no one will talk to us except for one of the equipment guys tells us we're in charge of. So we had a couple of coaches, um, Huber, Palermo, they would only drink uh, Coke, Coke, Diet Coke. 
Coke products. And, and so I'll never forget. So they said, all right, you guys are in charge of going and finding, you know, a six pack of Coke and a six pack of diet Coke and, um, and you know, good luck. And so I remember we're like wandering Cincinnati and end up in a part that probably wasn't the, the nicest part of Cincinnati looking for a store to buy Coke and to buy the beverage Coke. And, and we end up, we end up, um, you know, like finally finding it like lost. This is before the days of you just put in your cell phone to see like Google directions. We're trying to like find our way back to, to Nippert, but um, it was, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, like the, the domino effect of I'm in this situation right now, wandering the streets of Cincinnati because I was only 12 minutes early instead of 15 minutes early. I mean, it really was that if you weren't 15 minutes early, you're late. Apparently. It's actually, you were three minutes late. <laughs> That's nuts yeah, that you yeah. were three minutes late. So that, I, I love that you bring that up because it's, it just solidifies that every time anyone comes on this, they're like, Dude, you were in the weight room. If you're, if it started at six, you were there at five forty. And it's funny. Ben Strickland said, "We are still working out at five thirty in the morning." So I immediately sent them a text back. Says, "So are we doing the neck machine at five ten? Like I don't want to come at five thirty in the morning, let alone show up and I have to start warming up at five ten. And he started hysterically laughing. He's like, "No, five thirty means five thirty now." <laughs> I'm like, "What? I just had to get thirty nine, forty years of age to start actually." coming down that's when my wife freaks out she's like dude the the party says nine o'clock why do you want to be there at 8 45 i don't know because it's because mentally i'm screwed now because i have to be everywhere early two i'm like well why don't we we can help out like we can make sure everything's running (laughs) it's absurd but um that's why when when your wife was coaching me i was showing up 15 minutes early and they're like because darren your wife she does or used to work at orange theory yeah, she used to work at Orange Theory uh, coaching classes there. So I've always showed up. If it was 10.30, I was there at like 10.10, ready to walk in. And everyone's like, dude, what do you – no one's there. Like I'm, I'm in the office by myself, ready to physically yeah. start working out. People show up like 10.25, get with their coats on, their, their pants. Yeah. I'm like, look at these – these people will <laughs> never make it. Like they're never going to be on time and they don't really care. I was like I, – I, you know, like that makes me – like anxiety ridden. Yeah. yeah. That that's exactly it. it. Like put that mentality early on that like the anxiety and the the fact you feel like you're gonna let others down and let and 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 in your cases in the weight room a lot of times um there was no other option. <laughs> Just physical torture. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to make sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter what the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.
Wait, so I know we don't have that much time. I, I love these stories because you're, you're telling me things I had no idea used to happen. Um, you're, you're like really, really, you're a VIP now at the university. <laughs> I, 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 um, I am working in, back in athletics. I, uh, so once we graduated, I, um, I was away for a little bit, but actually came back not too long after graduation and within two and a half, three years. And uh, have I worked for many years in our event management department, helping uh, put on our events. And more recently, the last few years have been in a uh, external engagement role, which really means just um, working kind of with, with our, our fan base, working with the, you know, the different groups uh, that we reach out to, to just make sure we're, you know, hopefully putting on a great experience for folks. Um, one, one thing I think we, we pride ourselves on here is, is taking the, the bad with the good. So we love to hear positive things, but like, we certainly know uh, there's things that can always improve too. And so I, I think we really do. I mean, quite honestly, back to that manager mindset way back in the day, I think we do take a lot of those things to heart. And I, I can promise we do work very hard to, to try to improve that experience on so many levels and things that have been awesome for me, things I love is we, we for years had a fan advisory committee that really helped um, give us great feedback. I try to, you know, stay in touch with, with different folks that I, that I know are um, experiencing that, whether it's the person experiencing a Badger game day for the first time or someone who's been a 40 year season ticket holder. Like I love all those different perspectives and, and really kind of understanding what pieces of that um, really impact them or what, what the memories um, that they make during those game days, you know, what, what's important to them. And so um, it's been, a, it's been a great role. I'm very excited. I, um, you know, working with coach Alvarez all these years has been incredible, but I'm very excited for uh, the future that we have here. Uh, I know, um, Mac is is very supportive of um, of just understanding you know kind of best in class what's out there. Um, one thing I would say is that I'd really credit Mac for is like he's certainly not afraid to fail. He's given us the kind of latitude to to go out and seek things that we think will um, make you know make the experiences better. And you know we may not hit home runs with every swing, but I think the thinking being, if we take enough swings, we will hit some home runs. Is this across, sorry, Matty P real quick. Is this across every single athletic event? Yeah, obviously um, a lot of focus goes into uh, our events that draw, you know, large crowds. I mean, and and I will say, yeah. So like in my event management role, it was literally, we touched every sport. My current role focuses a little more on, on sports where we're you know, filling the turnstiles, obviously, like during my time here, to see volleyball go from a well-supported sport to a uh, to a sport where, quite honestly, it's one of the toughest tickets in town. We're about we're embarking this spring on a new renovation of one of the seating areas, as well as there's going to be an upper balcony um, kind of bar area overlooking the field house. Now, I mean, just to see the success of a program like that be able to drive some really positive changes to the facility. Um, is really it's it's fun to see. Obviously, on on the football side of things, we have the, the South End Zone project, and and that's, that's going to be an exciting kind of a little bit nerve wracking until like it's open and up and running. Uh, you know, it's one of those where 
a lot of planning is still in the works to be prepared for that, but we're excited about that. And then Cole Center uh, renovation is going to start here in a couple of months too. So it's kind of an exciting time. Actually, this office where I'm at right now is going to be part of a hole here soon. So um, we're building, uh, for those who don't know, brand new um, facility that's mainly going to be focused on student athlete um, services, but we'll have some components of, of some public spaces as well. But, um, you know, to, to be here, well, all three of these projects are about to commence is, is pretty exciting. And then, um, you know, there's obviously things on the horizon as well. So definitely excited from the facility front too, and, and how that might impact folks game days going forward as well. That's really cool. Speaking of speaking of game days, one of the projects that I know you worked on was the game day app. How did that sort of like come to be and what was your role in it? And how do where do you see the evolution of it going forward? Yeah, so for for years, so we first we we first started with the game day app now probably uh, almost 10 years ago. But and and it was great, right? Just to have that kind of um additional resource to communicate with our fans to, to share messaging a place that um you know they if they're coming to the game they could hopefully find really valuable info i think the the evolution side of it going forward we just we did just partner with a new provider for that app um last year obviously a big one is ticketing is now um, digital ticketing is now through the app i think the difference between when it when it started 10 years ago, it was a resource, um, which it will hopefully continue to be. I think going forward, the goal will be to find things that people want, new ways for people to engage in our product through the app, you know, whether it's some, it's interactive ways, um, like, like the ticketing, but, but beyond that, you know, whether it's uh, just throwing out, but like trivia or things that like people, uh, another place for people to go, we, while we wanted to have elements of like our website informative aspects, I think we also want to build some things that, that cause it to be something people seek out, um, you know, because certainly it's for us um, with the time and commitment invested in that app, we want it to be one that people find user-friendly, but that they also like seek out and enjoy using. Yeah, do you guys ever talk about, actually selling beer at games? Uh, yes. I mean, that's, <laughs> yes, that, that's obviously something that um, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. That's been on the radar for a long time. I know um, there's a lot of nuance to decisions like that. So, um, you know, certainly I, I respect that fact, but I think, Ultimately, if, if you look um, down the road, and actually a thing Mac told me years ago um, when he was in his, his previous role was, you know, instead of like always kind of looking a year or two out, kind of like take a second now and then to think like, what is the likelihood this is how will be how we do it in 10 years from now to kind of break the mindset of, well, we're doing it like this because it's just how we do it and it's how, you know, how we've always done it. Um, to kind of look at the longer view. And I, I would say, while I'm not a fortune teller, seeing here right now, I would be surprised if in 10 years from now, we weren't selling, uh, you know, beer at our game to the general public. Now, again, I, that's 
I don't need it. Yeah, don't hold me to it. I, but <laughs> I don't need it. I don't actually want it. I think the liability issue is huge, but I know you're talking about like the game day experience. People who are not um, outrageous like me can go to a game and enjoy a beer or two while they're sitting there. Some of the games are hot, yeah. but I still think I agree with you. You know, I, in 10 years, I think every stadium across the nation will do it. The amount of revenue created is absurd. You can charge ten, fifteen dollars yeah. a beer, and everyone's going to buy one. You know that—that's something I can promise. We're very—we're very cognizant of how expectations evolve over time, and and we're well aware that you know, the for a long time I, we talked about the early '90s, this program turning around, and I mean, we're now on a thirty-year wave of success, right? And we've had this, a lot of the same season ticket holders over the same period of time. But quite honestly, the expectations of that experience, of the amenities, I mean, quite honestly, even the seat you're staying in, like those expectations over time are changing. And, and at some point, um, you know, I, I think we, we acknowledge that and, and we will address those things um, as we go over time here. It's obviously not things that will be changed overnight, but things that I think we all understand are important to, to stay at the top of having a great game day experience for folks like getting no more benches actually having a seat to sit in yeah yeah it and the biggest challenge with that is obviously from a capacity standpoint is maintaining seating without significantly reducing or changing you know obviously um so that that has to stay um i mean this is a couch potato but yeah this is my couch potato (laughs) opinion you are actually creating this i think that's so great that you are you know like you've basically been from like the ground to the top and now creating this experience so when i come back i'm enjoying it like i i appreciate that you have been working for me for so long (laughs) even though i wasn't part of the quarterbacks (laughs) no i'm joking but it it, it is you know the game day experience I, i think is second to none but if you're a 65 year old with a bad back sitting in those seats are not as comfortable as they might be. I don't care about alcohol at the game. You can drink so much before and so much after. I actually think that break is nice. So I like that. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that people, I know we're going over time, but what are some of the things that people say to you that, that could be changed as part of, as at least Camp Randall's experience? Yeah, so, well, actually, uh, a big one was, um, as we do have a, an aging fan base, aging season ticket holder base, one at Camp Randall, and it's kind of bonkers to think we didn't have this, but um, we didn't used to have handrails. So something as simple as handrails, but what's amazing about the Wisconsin fan base is people had just become accustomed to using each other's shoulders to get up and down the, the aisles. And so it's funny, that that is so that is an example. I mean, maybe a less glamorous one, but that is an example of, of something that it became clear, like this, this can't continue this, you know, you have to improve. Um, and so uh, a couple of years ago, we invested, and it's not a small investment either. Like people think like, of course, just throw handrails, but even a project like that ends up costing, you know, nearly a million dollars just to put in um, handrails throughout the stadium. But like um, things like that, that we'll get feedback on. And, you know, there's, there are things, but the hardest things for me are always the things I can't fix immediately because I am someone that prides myself on like, Oh, I want to come up with a solution. I want to make this better for this person. And so really the hardest thing for me are the things where it's like, 
you know, we might not be able to change X, Y, and Z overnight, but like we can start to prioritize some of these things as we move forward. Or when future projects come online, we can use some of this feedback to say like, look, this was, you know, this has been an oversight to this point in the facility. Here's something we feel important about providing going forward. That's so cool. Any final like hilarious stories? Because you must have a bunch. You said you were thinking about them when well, we were emailing. So please yeah. tell them all. Any Matt Bernstein have, story? Let's do it. Unless it's like a I, unless it's I rated have, X. Yeah. So so there's a few there's a few stories. I'll uh, I'll 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 save for your Patreon version someday down the road when when uh, when maybe the, the audience. Uh, um, so here's here's what I'll say. Um, here's a good one. I, I've heard you talk about Coach Alvarez's uh, white uh, his white Cadillac, and I don't know if you've mentioned it, but so it was an actual like Barry Alvarez edition Cadillac with his. So it was his signature on the back in gold. So he, it was a golden Barry Alvarez signature on the back Barry Alvarez edition Cadillac, and there were only two people that had them. It was Coach Alvarez and, and Wayne Esser, um, for those that know um, the Esser family. So those two had these Barry Alvarez edition Cadillacs. And one of, one of I guess I would say, the less glamorous parts um, of being a manager, or you would come through and you'd ask the coaches what they need. Well, one thing the coaches occasionally would need is you'd go, you'd take their car for a car wash. And and so, yes, yeah, so we'd, we'd come in middle of the day, you know, we'd, we'd be scheduled for like, I'll oh, come in during, you know, these couple hours, uh, these days of the week. And so one of the things coaches would throw us their keys, like, go. Oh, they used to have a, a deal with Mermaid Car Wash at the time. So you'd take it over um, to the Mermaid Car Wash. And um, I'll never forget, like, my my first year, um, the, one, so the, the kind of joke among the managers was, if if you take Coach Alvarez's Barry Alvarez edition Cadillac, the worst thing you could do is get a scratch. Whatever you do, don't get a scratch. And they and the joke was, if you get a scratch, just go ahead and total the car, and then by t- when you get back, hopefully everyone will just be happy that you're okay, and that. that <laughs> So I always thought that was the funniest thing. Like, whatever you do, don't scratch the Barry Alvarez edition Cadillac. Or just keep driving. But, just drive until yeah. you can't or drive anymore. That, yeah, that, that, that probably would have been a more, that probably was better advice. That would have been better. Don't advice, scratch but. the Barry Alvarez edition Cadillac. Man, I would be like, dude, get somebody else. It's not me. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised no, they entrusted I, I, that responsibility I, to an 18-year-old. Like... Yeah, it was, I know, you know, nicer cars than any of us had ever driven and we're, we're taking them to the car wash, but yeah, it was, like I said, one of the less glamorous, there was plenty of, um, one, one other kind of just funny story is, so when I started, we still had to hold the cords. So the headsets were all corded when I started. And so I joke, I was a manager during the biggest revolution to ever happen to student football managing because, um, so the, my first couple of years, we would at, we would spend the entire halftime trying to untangle the cords because we're following all these coaches around all over the field. And, and the worst part was if your coach would take off, which coach Horan didn't do too often. I think he did in the, in the Rose bowl. At one point, I just like threw the cords and everything. Cause I knew I wasn't going to keep up with them or catch them. And so they're just going flying. He's running out onto the field yelling, but, um, 
I mean, it was like, I can't even explain to you how dirty and awful it was. Like we would spend the entire halftime trying to untangle them just to tangle them back up. And you want to talk about like going from the outhouse to the penthouse. So when we got uh, my third year, we got wireless headsets and all of a sudden, like we didn't have to hold cords anymore. And so I started being able, they let me listen instead of holding someone else's cords. I started to be able to chart plays. So I would listen to coach white. I got to hear some great uh, chatter between him and coach coach Horton and quite honestly, coach Alvarez. Anytime he came on, he would every, it'd only be like a couple times a game maximum, but he would throw on the headset and make a call, say, what about this? Or look at this. And I swear every time without fail, the play was a success. It was incredible. It was like, he had this magic where he could just throw the headset on, call a play and it was success. But like to go from the first couple of years of dragging those cords and chasing after coaches to like actually getting to chart out plays and listen to all the play calls and listen to that banter of the coaches was uh, was a big big improvement in the life of a student manager. Anything like really crazy come over the phones? Yeah, so yeah, it was. So yes, I mean, um, you know, Coach Coach Alvarez, as as you know, would always have um, he'd get cut to the point, and and um, you know, he there were a few times where you know he would question why um, why the the forward pass. I, I one I remember in particular is he put it on. He goes, we're, "We're making the forward pass look like it's a magic trick," <laughs> and he had he might have added some you know some other language in there, but um, yeah, like things like that. They're always just so so great. But I remember Coach White, and like you said, um, it, and I know you know this, Bernie. Like there there wasn't a lot of secrets. I mean, we were running a lot of the same running plays over and over. And so that was when I started charting. It was amazing, actually. Like look and 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 realize like you know 75 80 percent of our plays were from a a very small chunk um but but i just remember like if there's always a time component to it right you got to get the plane in time and if coach white would have trouble like i just remember coach horton come on coach come on coach white you got to get in and get in and then like i mean there were times where they would just roll with the last whatever the last play was because we didn't get a play in in time or you know like just the, the quarterbacks would just signal anything in or coach horton would um just throw That's out nuts. any play because we didn't get one in time yeah it's it was kind of but obviously um you know just that experience of of understanding i never growing up and like want wanting to like understand coaching that was such a cool thing to actually get to to listen in on on that piece of it when in doubt, go with a fire panther. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, it's probably like 26 power was like over and over and over until like my brain was mushed yeah, by the it, Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, no shortage of powers being run. <laughs> no shortage of powers and no shortage of like F-bombs being thrown during a game and at practice <laughs> at, in any direction. Yeah. Oh, wait, Darren. So before you go, who are some of your favorite like individuals to be around who are part of the team? Yeah. So there were just like so many great guys on those teams. I mean, I I always felt like one thing, what one thing that maybe I even took for granted that first year I was there, um, but came to really appreciate is like, what, what a like good environment we had and how many great guys. I mean, for me, I, I always felt like, so obviously I worked with the quarterbacks the closest. So 
Um, guys like uh, like Sorgi was amazing. Um, Stocko later on. Od, I know you interviewed Od, and I listened to that, and I gotta say, like just hearing his voice again, like I, I miss I miss that guy. He was amazing, and um, you know, just getting to know those guys. But there were always so many like positive influences too. Um, you know, I I remember like Anthony Davis would always kind of mess with mess with the the managers a little bit, had some fun with us. Um, that was always fun, but even guys like that, maybe the average fan wouldn't remember, but guys like Marcus Carpenter, I remember him just being incredible. He was on that first team and just an incredible person. And like, just, you know, I, I always felt like it. And one of the, one of the things I think that was um, so good about our program is coach Alvarez had this like count, count on me mentality that was not only the players, but it was the managers. Like to me, we talk about Yelda and stuff like that, but really the worst thing you could do in our program was disappoint people was like disappoint those around you. It was like, can people count on you or can they not? And you, you wanted others to be able to count on you so badly that like you would, you would do anything right for those guys. And so I always felt like that was kind of a special uh, thing we had going. Darren, you are the best man. Thank you for coming on. I, I truly appreciate like all the funny stories, the thinking back, all the new stuff that I learned that managers going to games early, like, dude, you got to go and hang out like on the Wisconsin dollar, like go and, and hang out at these different places. So cool. Like I always thought it was special that we play in different areas, but when we go there, like you didn't, if you got there at night, you didn't see anything besides like yeah. the darkness, the hotel, the stadium, and then the plane again, like, there was no experience of Ohio state besides in the stadium, which to me was one of the best, it's the best experience, but you got to do like even more than that. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's, it's hilarious. I definitely need to hear some more of these funny stories though. One day. I, I, I have a few, I, I'll be honest. There's a few I debated on and a few I saved for maybe, maybe next time, uh, next time you're back in town and, uh, I know we'll your last this. trip was a short one. Next time yeah. you have a couple more days in town, send out, send out the Bernie signal and I'll be we'll, there. Oh my God, for sure. We'll have to do, I think Matt Perkins and I are hoping one day to do a, um, a show at Wando's. Wando's doesn't know that I, we're going to do it, but I think we're just going to do it there. <laughs> um, and then you, you, you got to come for lunch or we could do it at the call center. I'm happy to do it right in the middle of the call I, center. I, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm not, I think Wando should stay your, your primary uh, location, but we, I'm happy to set you up with an alternate location. Should Wando not work out for you? It's what I'm the sure college club? Could, uh, find some great... <laughs> yeah. The red shed. Yeah. <laughs> I, <can't... laughs> I, I think that will be well, our, our, our primary spot, but do you then, if you come after work, we'll, we'll go off air and, and then we could hear these funny stories. Cause I can't like Greg Root remembers almost everything. And I can't remember half the stuff, but then I'm like, when he says it, I'm like, oh my God, Greg, you just brought that back. It's hilarious. It just yeah, that I I envy guys like that that can remember every moment. But I will say there's a few that are burned in my memory that I'd be I'd be happy to share with you offline, Bernie. There's some burned in my memory that I will not share. I probably will share it. They'll just be like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> On the premium feed, on the premium. You know, feed. I've never told anyone that I came in that I was never been so hungover in my life waiting before a game. And I felt so because coach white scared me, but he didn't know he woke me up. 
It's like, I don't, you know, like, and then he woke the next dude up and like freaked out at him. And I was like, coach, I have nothing in this game to do besides catch 10 footballs before the game. Cause before the game, if you drop the football, everyone was pissed about it. So I was like, all right, so all I got to do is just catch 10 footballs and then I'm stand on the sidelines for the rest of the game. So yeah, you know, I was a freshman. I was a knucklehead. I had a good time. I went out. I mean, the rules, listen, when, when you knew you were playing, like I didn't mess around at all. You know, that's a dis. I didn't want to disappoint anyone, but I had no responsibility game day. Like I didn't even have to look good in my pants. Like nobody, Joey Bose's dad's like, dude, tape your wrist. At least you like, you might look better. I'm like, dude, I'm not taping my wrist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, listen, we took way too much of your time, but we really appreciate it. Um, Dude, the game day experience in my eyes is, is none other. Like there's nothing more I really want. So I give you a hundred percent on your metrics. Um, and, and just, dude, thank you, man. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure to, to be friends for 20 years. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Likewise. I, I can genuinely say, I always look forward to, to seeing you and catching up and, and I, I can't wait for that trip, uh, that next trip when you're able to spend some time here and, I look forward to the future on location podcast as well. But I, I have to say, you guys are doing an incredible job. These are so amazing to listen. I to the point where I, I started, I think talking to my talking to my phone, listening to these. I was so into them. So um, I'm I'm excited to to see this pop up on the feed now. Uh, this is my my first listen as soon as it pops up. We really so, appreciate that, man. That means so much. Do we have to go to Verona? I, that's where my wife's from. Like we, you, that's where you live, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm right out that way as well. Dude, we'll hang out. We'll go down to the, uh, the, the brewery there right across from Miller's. Man. I tell you, if my wife's, if my wife's mom doesn't go to Miller's once a day, it's not a good day. <laughs> like it's just a grocery <laughs> store, but Hey, it, it's got a, you know, it's community. That's what it is. Well, Darren, thank you so much. Get back to work, trying to make, you know, the game day experience better for old people. Because one day that'll be me. I'll need handrails. <laughs> I'll need all types of things. <laughs> oh, man, this is really fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Re- really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, guys, on Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Badger Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, presented by betonline.ag. If you like what you hear, Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Believe in Badgers. That's B-L-E-A-V in Badgers. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube page for full videos of our podcasts. The show is produced by Matt Perkins and Matt Bernstein with audio editing and mixing by Matt Perkins. Our theme music is by Matt Blaustein. Thanks again for listening and on Wisconsin. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.